We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Thursday, March 8th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dane. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we'll speak with Joe Chanelli, the executive director of AMVETS, about the latest and greatest that their organization is involved with and focused on. A lot of big legislative movement from all the VSOs, including AMVETS in D.C. over the last couple of weeks and this week. Later, we'll speak with Leo Bastidas. He's going to talk to us about the Cyber Warrior Scholarship. Which, well, what exactly is it? You're going to find out in just a little bit. But a scholarship that's available to veterans. And of course, as you can probably tell by the name of it, Cyber Warrior has a a good bit to do with technology, computers, cyberspace. All that and more coming up on today's edition of The Morning Briefing, which is, uh, you know, again for Thursday, March 8th. I'm actually just killing time as I say that so that I can uh, make sure that Jake Hughes is in here and the crowd is ready for him. Oh, yeah. Jake is in. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Good to be here. Please, yep. contain yourselves. Well, good morning, Jake. How are you doing today? I'm doing uh, okay. I've decided to finally quit smoking again. Again. There you go. There you go. That's good. Uh, I've... Uh, Still had one occasionally, but have cut down substantially. Like I think yesterday I had one. Um, Doing the jujitsu thing has helped with that because, boy, does the warm-up segment of that, and then as the class gets toward the end, uh, you realize how little uh, stamina you have for any sort of extended physical activity. It's, uh, it's, so it's, it's basically my body wants to not do any of that anymore because, Boy, it feels not good to be running around and sucking air, and it burns. Oh, it burns so yeah. much. I've actually, I'm doing the uh, the the vape thing. Like, oh, yeah, because yeah, I got I got a vape pen. Because the way it works is there when it comes to how much nicotine is in the fluid. You there's twelve. It. Yeah, there's twelve, six, three, and one percent. I used to do that a while back. There was uh, I tried a couple. They had um, these ones that were available at the. Uh, like at the the little 7-Eleven place near the building I lived in in Connecticut when I first got out. And you couldn't smoke in my building, and I would have to go down the elevator, go outside. So I was like, well, I'll try these things. Maybe it'll help me quit smoking, and I'll do be able to do it in the apartment. Eventually, those you know didn't last all that long. They were kind of like, it was cool, but you'd spend a lot of money on them. Looked online, found a uh, – this is before the big – these weird things that look like a little, like an old school cell phone, the big yeah. thing yeah, that has the whole, it wasn't like that. It looked like a little cigarette basically with a rechargeable battery. And again, same thing. You could order different flavors of the, uh, basically where the cigarette filter would be was the little, uh, the liquid cartridge and you would order those and it wasn't that expensive and and the 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 company that i ordered from had one that like you didn't have to charge it when you were at home on the computer or whatever you plugged it into the usb port and it did it that way and yeah i, I mean it, it worked for a while but then i just kind of moved away from it and i don't really know why 
Yeah, the one I got was cost about uh, seventy bucks. It, it's about it's about yay big. It's about uh, one and a half times as big as a cigarette. Hmm. And uh, so yeah, it's rechargeable with USB. So I'm I'm hopeful this is gonna work because I'm gonna start because next weekend or this coming weekend I'm going to start as you have been. I'm gonna start working out again. Yeah, start going to the gym a little bit. Jujitsu, man, I'm telling you need to hook well, you up I, well, with H.W. Floyd and get you out there getting your butt kicked. I want to get healthy. I don't want to die. You're not going to die. If I tried jujitsu right now, I would die. I don't think you would. I think you'd be surprised. Like the first time I went, I thought this is probably not going to go well because I've heard horror stories of people going and, and, and throwing up during their first ever uh, time on the mats in a gi. And I've, I've done a little bit of training in like mixed martial arts and the modern army combatives. You've seen it, been there, got the t-shirt. So, you know, yeah. I've done a little bit of it uh, and, and messed around with the Marines and, and all sorts of stuff. It, it, this is the first time though I've done like, it, it's different. The official, you know, the, the competition level Brazilian jujitsu where you wear the gi, which is pretty heavy. It keeps you from getting mat burns all over your body. So uh, also gives you what you grab onto. But I, I went there for the first time wearing the gi and the first time doing this sort of class, like kind of like, oh man, I'm, am I going to embarrass myself? And it, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. I think some of the people that you hear about going there and throwing up, a lot of them are people who never did anything athletic in their life and they're just trying to like start at, a, at an advanced age and their bodies just don't know how to do it me from playing sports in high school and you know my whole childhood and then uh you know being in the military and doing some physical things there there's some muscle memory there that that certainly helps with it but i think the fact that you were a drill sergeant and you're used to that kind of that stress that you can physically put on your body, I think you could handle it. Yeah, I'm just I'm easing myself back into it. Like I'm starting with you know brisk walks on a treadmill, and then I'll run back up to running again because I used mm. to love running. I used to just love putting on headphones and yeah. just sort of running away from my life. I never did. Never. No. If there's a ball involved and points, all right, I'll run all day. If it was just running for running's sake, like even a race, I was like, eh. I mean, I, I ran track. Uh, indoor track in uh, one one year, my junior year of high school, I think, uh, and then uh, that was after I switched from uh, private school to uh, public school. After the private school asked me to leave, uh, and was only eligible for one athletic season, I was a horrible, horrible high school student. Uh, teachers, you know those kids. Teachers would be like, "You're very smart, but you just don't seem to try or care." That, like, ah, that's yeah. me exactly. There you go. I was like, you know, well, your your SAT scores are very high. You could get into college if your GPA was above a zero point two. Yeah, it's that's like, yeah, this is it, like looking back <laughs> I look at my high school transcript. I'm seeing all these incredibly low numbers. I just feel so bad because back then, the what happened was I would get A's and B's on my tests. I just wouldn't do the daily work because I was a lazy little sob back then. Yeah, I didn't even, uh, sometimes the test, like I just, I didn't care. I was so bored at school is what it was with me. Um, and I also have issues with, uh, or had especially to this day, to some extent, but back then, um, I believed and, and still to this day believe I was smarter than about half of my teachers that I was dealing with. <laughs> so if I'm smarter than you, and when it came to history, I knew more about the subject than some of the teachers did. They would say things and I'd be like, no, that's not correct. Like, like clearly not correct. Demonstrably false. Uh, that, that bugged me. And the more and more I saw that, which started 
I mean, I, that that was later on where I was just oh, like, you were you a doing? cynical little kid. I was, but I did. A, I read a lot on my own. I enjoyed learning about things. I just didn't like the way that they did it in school. Yep. And I didn't like the attitude of a lot of the teachers. I had a teacher in middle school who looked like Gargamel from uh, the Smurfs, just as <laughs> bald, hunchbacked, little like me, hated kids openly, despised children. Like you're a teacher. You're, he was in seventh grade. So I would have been what? Like 12, 13, yeah, 10, something like 10, that. 11, somewhere around there. 10, well, 10, I think 10, nine four, is like third grade. Well, right? cause you're 14 in ninth grade. So I would have so, been like 12. Yeah. Well, 12 yeah. 11, 12, 12, 13, because I was, I tended to be one of the older kids in my class because my birthday is like late November. Right, so, okay. um, he like, he wouldn't, he didn't even want to touch, have any contact when we had to turn in stuff. He was like, I'm going to move back from my desk. You will place the papers on my desk and then I will gather the pay. Like he didn't want people to come in contact with him. That's how much he disliked children. Wow. He saw us as some sort of communicable disease. Which, that was a teacher. Yeah. Well, as as a parent of a five-year-old, you know that children are communicable to see. Well, yeah, but this was like, this was old. We were older. We were tweens and, and young teens in some cases, I would guess. And it just, it was so clear that the guy hated his job, didn't like us. What are you doing there? That was when, you know, when people were talking about the uh, arming teacher uh, idea, Ugh. which, hey, you know what? There are some teachers who, yeah, great. There are some teachers who would be good to do that. Some who who would be able to handle it. Some who would, uh, in the horrifying situations like we saw in Florida, if it was the right teacher, like the guy down there, a football coach, I believe, who died, who had a firearm but wasn't allowed to bring it on. If that guy was able to be armed, things might have turned out differently. 99.9% .9 of teachers, no. I'll tell you this. The majority of teachers that I had, I don't even think that they should be teaching, let alone carrying a gun while doing so. I mean, it, it's it, it's it's that's that's what that's what I thought about that question. I thought back to people like Gargamel, my seventh grade teacher, who was just despised children, didn't want anything to do, to, just didn't want to be there. Um, I think about that, and I think about those people, and I think about the fact that yeah, there are teachers out there who that could be a benefit. You know, there are some people who could. There are some combat veterans who go into teaching. I, those people could certainly turn the tides. If some moron psychopath kid comes walking in with a gun, they could certainly take care of that situation. But, you know, that seventh grade Gargamel looking dude teacher, he's not going to be able to do anything about that. The majority, nearly every teacher that I had is not going to be able to do anything about that. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting idea and they, and Hey, you know what, coming up with ideas, what I don't like about this discussion about guns that we've, we've been having. And I mean, we talked about a lot yesterday. Uh, my op-ed is up on the site about how I don't think the AR 15 is the issue and why? Well, because I can name off the top of my head, six school attacks alone that didn't involve the AR 15 in any way. In fact, uh, Columbine, no AR 15 used there. Nope. Virginia Tech, no AR-15. University of Texas uh, school tower back in the 60s with Charles Whitman, bolt-action rifle with a scope on it. I mean, we, we can go back, and, and Charles Kehoe, uh, Andrew Kehoe, sorry, uh, which was the guy who, the Bath Township, Michigan, which I've mentioned on the show before, and a lot of people aren't aware of it, and I saw a thing on CNN about uh, trying to tie the reason people aren't aware of the Bath Township explosion to race. It was because it was uh, you know acceptable back then for... Uh, someone of Mr. Kehoe's race to do something like that because they were focused on anarchists is the problem and they were foreigners and all this. It was a very interesting uh, take that CNN had, one that I would 
I highly disagree with. But, uh, you know, this guy was angry that the uh, state was taxing him or the town was taxing him and he was going to lose his farm. And they were taking taxes to build this school. So he was like, oh, yeah, well, I'll take care of that school for you and set off a bunch of bombs and killed over 100 children and teachers, killed himself uh, eventually, could have killed more. But a couple of the bombs he had planted didn't go off again. When was this? 1927. So this is before the National Act that made automatic firearms illegal. You could go and purchase a Browning automatic rifle, a Tommy gun. I mean, those things were available legally, and they were out there, as we know, because of things like the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, organized crime. The Roaring Twenties were partially roaring because of uh, all the violence that was taking place. In fact, at worse levels than it does today. That's the other thing when it comes to guns that we don't talk about is the fact that the murder rates in this country, they're at all-time lows. Yeah, we've seen a slight uptick over the last couple of years, uh, which, of course, everyone likes to blame on one thing or another, their favorite boogeyman of choice. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, when I was living up in New York City, it was all Mayor de Blasio. He was the reason that crime has gone back up because he's changed all these policing policies. Is there something to that? I don't know. I'll let smarter people than me decide yeah. that. But anyway, uh, yeah. So, yeah, very interesting stuff going on around the world. And I invite you to check out that op-ed, which is on ConnectingVets.com. And ConnectingVets.com has a lot more on there, including a story about huge VA restructuring after failures at the D.C. VA Medical Center Secretary Shulkin saying that uh, basically what happened at D.C. represents a failure of the V.A. system at every level. So he's talking about the final inspector general's report on the D.C. V.A. Medical Center, which is the one that you attend when you go to uh, get yep. your stuff taken care of. Um, they say, and Shulkin is quoted in the story by our own Jonathan Copanger, saying there has been no identified patient harm, thankfully. But the I.G. report did identify more than 300 patient safety events. 100 of which hadn't been reported to the proper office. Now, what is a patient safety event? Uh, that means that the patient wasn't harmed, but they were in danger, basically endangered by the practices of the people there. So, you know, if uh, if Jake is uh, standing there waiting to get his blood drawn and uh, if a big chunk of metal falls out of the ceiling next to him because somebody put it in the wrong place. And it doesn't kill him. Well, he was still in danger. You're lucky it wasn't injury, but you know it, that's basically what it is. So, uh, it removed all this stuff resulted in the removal of the DC medical director at the VA Medical Center uh, twice, as you may recall. He was fired once, uh, and then due to uh, uh, union issues, able to get back onto the staff, and then fired again like a month later after the new Whistleblower and Accountability Act. Uh, came in but i mean when you hear about this being your va medical center and now they're gonna have to totally restructure everything they're gonna do i mean they're bringing new people in part of the restructuring of the facility level there will be unannounced survey visits at all va facilities including this one how do you feel about hearing this and and i mean they knew it was an issue for a while keep in mind that guy was fired last year i mean this was in the in the summer the first time that he was fired it's taken them a while to get around to this report coming out. I understand they want to get everything right, but shouldn't they have started the restructuring like while while they were identifying things, wouldn't you think? Yeah, they probably should have. And again, I can only speak to my experiences. I've never had a problem there, but knowing that so many other people did, it is a serious problem. And like you said, they don't want to move on anything until... You know how the government works. They don't want to move on anything until they have to. Mm. And when you have to is when it makes a big splash in the media and this big, huge report comes out. So they got on top of it as quickly as they could. But um, 
it just it does bother me and it lends it makes me think that but maybe i agree with you a little bit that a little more a little more choice would not be a bad thing yeah and, and i don't know if that's my uh if that's my full outlook on it now here's the thing and as we talk about they should have been doing things things have gotten better according to secretary shulkin uh is he says there's a new executive team in place and at the time of the ig report when it was taking place more than nine thousand outstanding consults had been on the books for more than 30 days at the va medical center in dc today he says that number is down to zero uh, they say there's also cleanliness improvements, 26% increase in patient satisfaction. So, I mean, they've made some changes. Now they're going to do some restructuring changes, uh, which which will, it sounds like they've tried to address things that are directly happening with the patients. Now they're going to look at restructuring to make sure that they're able to maintain that and that they're, the, the problems don't exist for them to fix in the future. But I mean, it's when you see things like this and it's, 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 it happens constantly you know that's where this this desire from a lot of veterans and there are those out there who'll say well it's just the political uh the political groups the lobbyists uh, people funded by the Koch brothers or whoever it's not just that there's a lot more people than that yes those groups are interested in privatization of the va they're uh in many cases the money that's behind it but go out and talk to the veteran community and you'll hear a lot of people who say like dude as soon as i didn't have to go to the va i didn't go to the va I'm one of those people. Now, does that mean that the VA uh, doesn't have a place? No. And does that mean the VA isn't doing great things? No. For me personally, it just made more sense. And it was more, much, much more convenient for me to see uh, a civilian medical specialist than travel to the VA hospital, which was twice as far from my house at minimum, probably three times as far from my house as, uh, as my civilian doctor was, uh, and then go there. And, and again, we've talked about the, uh, the minor issues that I had waiting two hours for an appointment, uh, that was scheduled His appointment scheduled at 11. You look up, it's one o'clock. You're like, Whoa, what's going on, man? And then they tell you, Oh, you never checked in. Huh? Well, here's my name in the check-in book up above all these other people who checked in after me. You were talking to that guy about your vacation to Mexico. He was telling you about how he went to Costa Rica. He served in the Marine Corps. How do I know all these things if I wasn't in here, you know, two hours ago when you were talking about that? It put a bad taste in my mouth. It absolutely did. And there are a lot of people with bad taste in their mouth. Uh, and then when they see stories like this, um, good to hear that they've gotten those 9,000 cases that have been sitting there for more than 30 days off the books. Great. However, what was that because the spotlight was on them because of this whole IG report thing and the guy being fired? Will they fall back into the same practices that allowed it to get there? This restructuring is supposed to avoid that, but I mean, why wasn't it done earlier? That's, that's the thing that you always, you, the question that you ask, you have to say, well, it's good. Great. I'm glad that they're fixing this, but why the hell did it take so long? Why did it take so long to 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 change something that was identified? They wanted to get rid of that medical director or for for a while and then finally did. Why did it take so long? So, you know, there are there are concerns about the VA system. I mean, uh, Jonathan, uh, who wrote this story, he gave uh, the VA and Secretary Shulkin an F for 2017, saying like, yeah, there's movement, but it's not enough. It's you know, some people say it's too little, too late. And, you know, the more stories come out like this, I think the more you're going to have uh, veterans who are interested in the privatization issue. 
whether they take a stance on it or not. And I'm open to considering everything. You know, I like talking to to people about what to do with the VA and what are the possible options and hearing people's different opinions. Um, I'm not willing to discount anything, though. I mean, I'm not willing to discount making everything 100% VA related. Hey, if that's the best option, it's the best option. 100% privatized, if that's the best option, that's the best option. That's all I'm worried about is the best option for the veterans receiving care there. Um, and and the one we've talked, we talked about it earlier this week, the medical center that I went to where I had those issues, their surgery rooms are shut down again because metal chunks and, and asbestos and stuff are blowing out of the uh, the ventilation systems in various places. It's 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 not good. I mean, it's over a hundred year old facility. The main hospital is Vietnam era, so we're talking 50, 40, 50 years old there. Um, and, and they had problems two years ago. I know because I interviewed the director who is no longer there, the director at the time, about this issue, and he assured me, Oh, you know, we're getting this taken care of. This is a one time deal. Oh yeah? Here we are. Here we are, March two thousand eighteen, and guess what? Happened again. I talked to the guy in Maybe less than that. Maybe it was a year and a half. No, I guess it was 2016. It just, you know, the the continuing issues, people do eventually get tired of hearing, oh, well, we're working on it. Dude, I mean, in the civilian sector, if you can, if you're continuing to work on it for this many years, you, you run out of business. I mean, that's what happens. This is, you need to see significant improvement. And have we seen significant improvement in some places? Yeah, a lot of places, but we still are hearing these stories and we're reading these new stories almost every day, Jake. It seems we come in here and there's some new problem at the VA, you know? Yeah. It also seems there's some great new thing to report on, but we need more. The The ratio is, is pretty close to even right now, I would say. At least that's how it seems to me. Yeah. No, me too. And the problem is... With as with all government services, it's unwieldy and it's bulky and it's hard to make changes yeah. because people, you know, you're in these GS positions that are basically the civilian or the federal version of tenure, mm-hmm. and they don't and they can't get rid of them. Or they don't want to get rid of them, or it's a good old boy system, and it's you know, it's part of what the Accountability and Whistleblower Protection Act is, is was supposed to, to do, yeah. yeah. And, and maybe it will. I mean, it's still early on. They've gotten rid of a lot of people that they said was dead weight. Uh, so many people that you're like, oh, boy, that's a lot more people than you would even hope it was. And then you realize there's probably still more out there who are getting away with uh, with doing things the way that they were doing. So it's it's also a massive system. It's the largest medical system in the United States, the VA system. So they have a lot of things to cover. And you've got to put trust. You know, Secretary Shulkin can't be at every facility and checking things out there. That's obvious. But, you know, he's got to put trust into these people and and you got issues like what was happening at the D.C. Medical Center up at Northport, uh, Phoenix a couple years ago with the, the massive issues there. I mean, again, it's just it seems to be an even ratio for every good thing that we hear. It seems like we're hearing at least one bad thing. And we're not even talking about Secretary Shulkin's personal issues with the flight and the Wimbledon tickets and everything. Just overall, it seems that that a one to one ratio ain't going to cut it, man. That should be at 10 to 1, 20 to 1, something like that. For every good story, there should be you know a fraction of a bad story. Now it seems like it's, again, each day we're able to talk about one bad thing, one good thing. Like, for example, today we're talking about this uh, IG report and the restructuring happening at D.C., which... 
hey, they're trying to put a positive spin on that, but honestly looking Still at it. Still bad things happening. Yeah, honestly looking at it, you're like, okay, so restructuring, well, what took so long? You knew this place had problems. It's, it's supposed to be the crown jewel of the VA system in our nation's capital, and it's like a two-star facility. Yeah, and plus, you know, what does restructuring mean? Like firing yeah. people or like exactly people, what putting, are you doing? Well, and it says you can check out Jonathan's story for the details on that, but certain people are going to be reporting to fewer supervisors. Like there will be, you know, there used to be, let's say you had, uh, and this is just an example that's not uh, in, in actuality a, a thing, but let's say you have like radiology, urology, and uh, uh, I don't know, uh, cardiac care. So three different medical services would then report to three different bosses who then reported to two different bosses who then reported to one boss. Now it's it's more streamlined where okay. you'll have people reporting to one person, um, basically giving that one person more control over more aspects of it. But here's good news coming out of the VA. Rural veterans with PTS or PTSD are the latest target of the VA's telehealth program. That's the telemedicine outreach for PTS or TOP psychotherapy and other related services. Basically, they're able to do phone and video calls to address mental health issues for the many veterans that we have that live in rural areas. People that live in West Texas where you can drive for I don't know, seven, eight months without seeing a house or a person or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, once you know? get out west past Lano, you can easily drive a couple of hours without seeing nothing but dead trees. Yeah, I mean, same thing with uh, places like the Dakotas and Montana. There are a lot of people in our country who are, are a long ways away from a VA medical center. Some of them, like, they, it would be better if they flew to the VA medical center. Now, this telehealth thing, it's giving them the option for that. So go to connectingvets.com. You'll be able to see that story and so much more related to the VA from Jonathan Copanger. You're listening to The Morning Briefing. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up in just a moment, we're going to have Joe Chanelli, Executive Director of AmVets, live on the phone, calling in this morning. Not able to make it into studio because he's a busy man doing busy things. Coming up a little bit later, the Cyber Warrior Scholarship. We're going to find out everything you ever wanted to know about that and more Morning Briefing after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at ConnectingVets. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing here on ConnectingVets.com. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer, and it is Thursday, March 8th, 2018. Already a fantastic show. We've been able to talk to Joe Chanelli, the executive director of AMVETS, about the continuing issues at the VA, as well as AMVETS' new initiatives that they've announced and their political stuff that they've, uh, they've come out with their political priorities for 2018. This segment... Uh, we're hoping to still speak to the recipient of the Cyber Warrior Scholarship, or uh, are we not? Uh, about that. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, I, oh, have to, I have to swallow some crow here. I blame uh, you. I, you should blame me, because okay. I put it on the calendar on the wrong day. 
He's actually calling in on the 12th. You can give me a scholarship and we could just pretend like it's happening. Yeah. The, well, that's a prime. I may have scheduled something for the 12th now. All right. This may be a cascading. Uh, <laughs> this may be a catastrophic <laughs> failure on my part. This may be a cascading problem. Um, well, Too we do much have, is better than not enough. There you go. Well, Jonathan Copanger's in here. If you didn't recognize that voice, you're not watching. I do that. apologize. Yeah, it's all right. You're not watching the Hack the VA series and you're, uh, you're becoming part of a swiftly growing, swiftly shrinking minority because that is those videos have become rather popular. Popular, particularly on Facebook with cool. uh, thousands of people looking at them over the last uh, last couple of weeks, I know, and, and on our website as well. Uh, the Hack the VA uh, videos that Jonathan is doing, as well as the accompanying stories, essentially uh, pointing out things that are available to people that we oftentimes don't know about. It's yeah. kind of like life hacks. You know how you can, uh, there's a show called Hack My Life. I think yeah. it's on True TV where they test out these theories about like, can you have your lawnmower mow the lawn by itself by putting a stake and tying a, a rope to it into that. And actually the answer is yes. If you don't like mowing your lawn, there is a way to do it automatically. <laughs> don't do it. If you have pets or children, that's yeah. my, my only suggestion. <laughs> if you have children, they that. should be mowing the lawn. So that's, and Jonathan keeps a close eye on what's happening over at the VA as a whole. And we've been talking about the VA a lot today. So, hey, let's keep it going. All right. Yesterday, the VA Medical Center restructuring announcements. We talked with Jake about it, who, who the VA Medical Center in D.C., that's his place. He yeah. just retired from the Army. That's the one he goes to. Uh, we also talked to Joe Chanelli from AMVETS about it. And it's, uh, it's a bit of a double-edged sword for the VA, I think, this announcement that comes out where they're saying, hey, restructuring we're we're basically getting rid of a lot of middle management as joe was explaining to us and uh we're, we're kind of streamlining how things work at the va medical center in dc uh however the fact that most of these problems have been in existence for so long mm -hmm. provides some ammunition to the anti-VA or privatize the VA crowd who say, oh, great, you're fixing it after 30 years. And what are the chances that this is a permanent fix and it's not just going to backslide into what it was before? I mean, there are a lot of concerns from a lot of different groups on right. this, even though it's a positive announcement. There are some negative connotations to it, aren't there? Yeah, um, but they have to do something. I mean, for, for a long time, they've just been trying to put Band-Aids on things. So I, I think this is a good, it, it's a good step. Whether or not it works, I mean, it, it all depends on the VA and Congress, really. And the people. Because if you're eliminating middle managers yeah. and moving, you know, if you have, uh, you know, three different groups reporting to six different managers who then report to two different managers, it's not efficient. My wife is a Six Sigma black belt. She can tell you all about how <laughs> inefficient uh, setups like that are and getting it more streamlined. But- Let's say there is a, a new manager that is now the report, the person who eight departments report to that it mm -hmm. used to be they reported someplace else and he was responsible for a couple. Is that person capable of managing it? Just the fact that it looks more efficient on paper doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be. With a lot more being on that person's plate, that may not work out well. So they think they have the right people in place for this, though, don't they? Uh, yes, um, they, they do. And some of the people they've moved around have really good track records. I think... What they're trying to do is there's so many steps to the different processes at, at the VA. And if you can get rid of a couple of those steps, you're automatically going to streamline things at least a little bit. And then you're going to be able to see what exactly the problem is, because I don't think they know what the problem is because everything is so convoluted. Yeah. And and that is the issue with a lot of these uh, VA facilities is that they've become this bureaucratic nightmare. As everyone's pointed out, the, the majority of issues and complaints that people have with the VA, myself included, I think Jake included, based on uh, what happened to him last week with you know sitting around for an appointment and then finally going to the desk and then being told, oh, no, that appointment was canceled. Mm -hmm. Oh, 
When? Because I've been here for 45 <laughs> minutes. Was it between when I got here and now? I mean, the, the bureaucracy is more the issue than the care itself. When you finally get into the doctors, the majority of the time, not all the time. I mean, we get stories like that guy who woke up with a scalpel in his uh, yeah. stomach or whatever. <laughs> hey, that happens uh, in every form of, uh, of medicine uh, out there. It's not... Uh, limited to the VA, but the medical care, it's good. And there's a lot of great advancements being made at the VA by their research and development team. It's the bureaucracy and it's, it's a government organization. So is it so ingrained that it'll never truly be fixed to where it's able to work like an efficient, you know, medical system is, I guess that's the big question people have. I think when you get down to the facility level, they're, they're really going to love the changes because if they can, if anything can happen to where you're going to streamline getting care to veterans, People on the front line are going to really enjoy that. It's the the vision, the network area, and then you have headquarters. That's where I think the biggest problem is going to be because you've had people who have carved out their little niche at the VA and have been doing things for so many years a certain way, and now that all has to change. Yeah, They, yeah, they like- have dates where they want complete reports of how to restructure things, and it's going to be May for um, headquarters, and then I think it's June for the visions. Yeah. So there's going to be a lot of changes happening to people that aren't used to change. And I think that's going to be the problem at headquarters and the vision level. But I think at the medical centers, any change that's going to make things easier for them to give better care to veterans, I think people are going to love that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's typically going to be a good thing. Yeah. Like I said uh, earlier in the show, it it seems like with a lot of these problems, it comes down to these GS workers that have like the federal version of tenure. That sort of, they've been in the position for so long, and like you said, done it this way for so long, that when someone comes along and says, hey, this isn't the best way to do it, they're like, oh, well, you're just a young person, you don't understand. Hey, you kids! This is the way I've been doing it for decades. Well, and using a a military analogy, anyone who's ever worked in, there, there are some commands in the military where you work with those civilian and government employees, but... The one place where I served where it was abundantly clear how the government works with all those things was recruiting. Because I worked at the headquarters for Navy Recruiting District Jacksonville, and you had your military people that were assigned there, your commanding officer, XO, your your typical command structure that you have. However, you also had government service employees, GS employees, some of whom had been there for 25, 30 years, and some of whom were wonderful, some of whom were not so great, but they were all there and they weren't going anyplace. You also had the, uh, the, the, the people who were... GSs that were kind of a check and balance to the Navy people that were there, like mm-hmm. the CO would come in and the CO gets what the CO wants generally, but particularly when it comes to the military members, the GS employees who worked for them, they answered to them, but they weren't really fireable by them. It was a whole different process. Yeah. So if the CO came in and wanted to do something new and the government employee knew that's not going to work. They would have their ways of putting up roadblocks and making it known. Um, there were also the other ones who just didn't want to have to do any more work than they already did, even if it would benefit people. So they would throw up roadblocks for that too. So, I mean, it's, it's not just the VA. It's really anywhere that you have government employees. And it is somewhat similar, as Jake was saying, to tenure. It's not easy to fire a GS employee. And at the VA, as you were saying, you worked there. And yeah. at the VA, if you how, how long was it that you had to work there before you were essentially unfireable? Three years. <laughs> well, and, and of course now... <laughs> That's so with, insane to me. You, you can't really use the VA as, as a good example of this right now, because they have changed things slightly. Right. They're making it easier to get rid of underperforming employees. The Accountability and Whistleblower Protection and, Act and made a big change. There is some of that that's, that's helping, helping. And I've talked to a few people, and I wouldn't say that people are afraid. I think people are, are more respectful of mm-hmm. their jobs. I think it is a good way of putting it um, at the VA. So that, that's a good move right there. 
It is because if people think that they can get away with anything, they will. Yeah. As someone who who finished my time, and Jake, you were a staff sergeant. I was a first class. Uh, what, what did you you finish in the navy? You were what petty officer? E five. E five. Second yeah. class. So you had some leadership responsibilities as an E five. I would imagine. I was a journalist. Yeah. Well, I mean, still. Hey, so was I. So was, what are you saying? <laughs> I anchored I mean, a TV show. That was my responsibility. Where I would go to places, and, and there were commands that I showed up as. I, I made first class fairly quickly, so I was an LPO for uh, over half of my navy career, and I would show up to new commands, overseas commands, where. They were larger, the larger gatherings of journalists. Stateside, there's a couple of us here and there. Overseas, we were on the TV and radio stations and all that stuff. There were places I showed up where, uh, because people weren't held accountable and people weren't uh, told what to do because the people in charge didn't know what to do. Thank you, Navy, for that rating merger. <laughs> that was a great idea. Um, I would show up and there would be like, why is this person not here at 9 a.m. when they were supposed to be here at 7? They go on the air at 10. Oh, well, you know, they just that that's when they show up. Like, no, man, you're going to be showing up now. And because they weren't held accountable, there, there was no there was no motivation to to do what they were supposed to. Yeah. Even if they did know and the, the bosses didn't, they just kind of get away with it. And it's it's similar to, again, what you see in, in there are a lot of similarities between how the military works and how the government works. Mm -hmm. The difference is in the military, somebody can come in with an anchor on their collar or some stars on their shoulder board <laughs> or that eagle and change things yes. very quickly. Uh, it, whereas in the government uh, realm, it's a little bit harder. You know, Secretary Shulkin came in. He wanted to do these, uh, the Whistleblower Protection and Accountability Act. If he could have enacted that personally, he probably would have done it the day that he was named Secretary of the VA. But a lot of this stuff has to go through legislation where the government has to approve it. And that's the thing that most people forget about is Congress, you know, kind of pulls the strings for this. And there's just so much that the secretary can do. Now, I don't want to say that and to give him a pass for not doing anything. He should try everything possible. And, and I do see some positive things happening. But you know, it, it, it's not like you could just go in there and snap your fingers and make a change. And that is, uh, of course, what people want to see. They want to see immediate change. All mm -hmm. the problems. Let's magic away all the problems at the VA. Life doesn't work that way. And the government sure as hell doesn't work that and way. And considering this is one of the largest um, medical organizations in the world. And the biggest one in the country. Yeah. It, by it, far. You, can't, you, you just don't change things, you know, right away. No, it's going to take time. And it's uh, it's going to be... Even if they get everything right, and some of the things they're doing seem right. There are some people who don't like some of the things that they're doing. There's a lot of arguments over which direction the VA should be moving in. But in general, like the VSOs tend to think Secretary Shulkin's moving in the right direction in, in, in general, overall. But it's going to be, to some extent, just because of the design of the VA, it's going to be like a trickle-down thing where uh, there are a lot of VA facilities in this country, more than one in most states. So you're talking at least... How many VA facilities are there? There's 170 uh, medical centers and 1,200 uh, facilities. So over 1,000 yeah. facilities in total that we're looking at with 170 of these VA medical centers, which are the, the main medical centers. I Think about how different a, um, a McDonald's is when you go to one, your hometown McDonald's. Right. You think, oh, here's McDonald's in Washington, D.C. I'll go in there. It'll be just the same. No, it's not going to be the same. There are going to be different issues. I've been to great versions of a, a chain, essentially, which is what the VA is. Mm -hmm. It's a medical chain. There are great McDonald's out there. There are bad McDonald's out there. They're kind of franchised. Do you think this is something that is going to be a factor where things may change at the VA national level, but it takes a while for them to get down more to the local and state level? Well, and that's the interesting thing because the VA isn't set up 
really to do things top down because a lot it's done with medical a lot of the uh, studies and surveys that they do are done on the local level they'll try something out with a small group then they'll expand it and then they'll expand it a little bit more and then they'll go national so a lot of times the way things change at the VA it starts local and then it goes national. So now they're going to try to do, the, do it the opposite way, where they're going to start it national and have it trickle, trickle down local. So it'll be interesting to see how it works. I, I don't know that, I mean, I, it's got to work. The, the, what, what other choice is there? But it just not, that's just not how the VA does things. Yeah. Um, so it, it, they're doing something different, which is good. Maybe that's what they need. Maybe right. they just need to shake up. It, like seem, it seems to me uh, some of the problem the complaints people have is that it, the VA is not changing fast enough. Hmm. And I've made I've made the observation before that large organizations, especially like federal government, federal agencies, they take a long time to change. And the problem is they've had so long to change up till now that now the oh they're finally moving in the right direction. Well, yeah, but how long is it going to be until that right direction turns into where they need to be? And there there is a lot of change going on. The VA changes daily. They're they're constantly changing how they deliver things, how um, the, the the way veterans are able to interact. So there's changes happening all the time, and you have all these little moving parts. And now the person is like a conductor with with a big orchestra has to try to get everybody to do the same thing. So it, it's it's a thankless job. I I wouldn't want it, but it's it's. I was telling my husband last night. It's fun to watch from the outside, and <laughs> you know it's a little frustrating. But it, it's entertaining. Yeah. I mean, it's our job to kind of do this stuff. So maybe it's entertaining to us and not to anybody else. <laughs> but it really is entertaining to watch from the outside. But I'm glad I'm not inside of it anymore because it, ugh, no. Yeah. I mean, it's a thankless job. I mean, sometimes you get tickets to Wimbledon. But other than that, it's a thankless <laughs> job. <laughs> that worked out. Uh, that IG report on the VA Medical Center in D.C., uh, as we were talking to Joe Chanelli, and as you mentioned in your story, they already made some changes there. While yeah. the IG report was going on, as, as Chanelli was telling us, essentially the IG reached out to the VA and said, hey, we know you're waiting for our, our full report, but uh, you might want to know about A, B, and C and start and getting them that rarely fixed. happens with the IG. This was something, and it was, um, I reported on it earlier last year. I forget exactly when it came out, but I did report on it. Because that doesn't happen that often. You, the IG does not give people warning shots like this. No. And in this case, uh, they saw significant problems. And boy, that uh, former director of the VA Medical Center in mm. D.C. who said, no, and there was nothing wrong at the D.C. Medical Center. Like, yeah. yeah. Okay. So if he had somehow been able to stay in office, this IG report uh, certainly seems like it would have spelled the end of him either way. But Yeah. And then the people that are there, are some people saying, I never knew this was going on. I... I don't know if I believe that Yeah, because we knew, I knew things were going on and I was very low middle management. So if I knew it and I have nothing to do with that medical center, then how did people who were in charge not know? Yeah. And that's a very, uh, it's, it's a, it's hard to prove again. It's one of those things where you have to take someone at their word or not. And the VA, I don't think it has much of a cache of, of goodwill from many in the veteran community right now because <laughs> of all the things that have happened. When the VA says, like, oh, we didn't know about this, there's a lot of, you can picture him out there right now, old Marine, cigar sitting in the corner of his mouth like, oh, you didn't know about it? Yeah, sounds legit. Well, also there's a problem. Didn't you? I think we talked about this earlier. Didn't you say in the story that, that uh, the hospital itself has like a high patient rating or high rating from patients? It's gotten better. It's it's gotten better. So it's like it seems like they're good at hiding it. Hmm. Maybe maybe that's the problem. Because again, 
I can only speak from my experiences. I've never had a problem at the DC Medical Center, and I've been going there for over a year now. So, I mean, and and most women that I that I talk to that go to the DC Medical Center, they have nothing but glowing reports to say about their care because hmm. the the women's department there is exceptional. And so you have some areas that work really well and some areas that don't. Uh, one of the big problems was the um, the supply uh, ordering system. The v- VA spent millions of dollars on this new system, and then the people there decided they didn't like to use it. They, it wasn't user-friendly, so they didn't want to use it. So that caused a bunch of problems. Not only did they not want to use this thing that tax, do- tax dollars had paid for, but then they caused more problems because they couldn't get the right equipment, and which led to problems with patients. So how did people not know that this million, $300 million system wasn't being used? Because they weren't using it. It's obvious it's not being used. How did they not know? It yeah. just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. And again, that's one of those things where there are a lot of jaded veterans and, and being uh, a member of a VSO, being a VFW member up at my post in Long Island, uh, there were many people who volunteered at the VA in Northport, which of course was in the news, as you know, where uh, you know this supposed four-star VA medical center had chunks of metal and stuff blowing yeah. out of the vents in surgery rooms two years ago. And now again, it's happening, which as I was saying earlier, I interviewed in my previous uh, job, the director of that VA medical center who assured me like, Oh, this is a one-time thing. We've got it taken care of. He's no longer doing that job as it might not surprise (laughs) you because this has already happened again, along with many other issues. Um, There's just a lot going on there. And a lot of people who, while they want to do anything that they can, like those volunteers Mm -hmm. from my VFW post, those volunteers were some of the people who had uh, the highest opinion of many of the people at the VA, but had the lowest opinion of some of the ways that the VA was doing everything mm-hmm. up there and and the way that the government was treating the VA. They needed more money for this. Of course, as we found out from your story on that, uh, the VA Medical Center in Northport, Long Island, missed out on $9 million that they would have had because they didn't finish up uh, requirements that they were supposed to. I right. mean, it's... Uh, it's it's a mess, and again, that's that's supposedly a four star VA medical center. Where you're like, and another eh. another thing that that I think has gone underreported is um, since last year, twenty seven facility directors have been removed. So the VA is quietly doing things. There are some of the people that have been replaced uh, that they're replacing with aren't don't have the best track record. Mm. Um, but at least they're trying that. And that's some, that's new because that a number like that hasn't happened in a long time at the VA. Right. I don't know that it ever has. That's like a sixth or a seventh of all the VA medical centers uh, <laughs> having their directors removed. I mean, what's the good thing? Well, at least it's not a quarter. It could be more. Well, and these are the ones that have been, their their facilities have been underperforming for a long time. So or like Manchester, which we reported right. on this past summer where it sounded like I, I closed my eyes and I picture the Manchester VA as being like uh, the VA hospital from born on the 4th of July, the Oliver Stone movie where <laughs> Tom Cruise is basically being tortured and stuff or, or even more like something like a scene out of uh, the video game, silent Hill or the nightmare on Elm street movies where it's just <laughs> rusted walls with blood dripping down from the ceiling because you hear these horror stories and it's unfortunate because as we know, the majority of VA facilities out there are doing great work. Mm-hmm. They may have problems with uh, people getting appointments, and that's that's the biggest issue that needs to be taken care of. But then there are ones where, like, you know, in, in Northport, 
I just imagine some poor vet having an open heart surgery and then a chunk of metal blows out of the uh, the vent and lands in there and it's like, mm-hmm, guess we'll just sew them back up and leave it in. Obviously, we don't have any indication that that happened, right. but that's he needs more thing iron that, in his blood anyway. Yeah, <laughs> that's the kind of thing that pops up into people's minds and what they start thinking about. And it's as we were talking about earlier today, and and since you this is this is a big part of your beat and what you do here. It seems like the ratio of good to bad stories at the VA is about one to one. For every good story that we seem to talk about on this show, there's a negative one the exact same day. And that ratio needs to change substantially. Well, and that it's difficult because there are so many good things coming out of the VA. Um, today at 10 o'clock in Chicago, at the Chicago VA, they're doing um, Operation Protect Veterans. And it's um, just about, they're working with AARP about protecting veterans from from being scammed. Mm-hmm. And that's just local for Chicago. So that's one center doing one program to help veterans. And that's just one thing coming out of it. They have yeah. other programs going on. And each center does things like this that, that we just don't hear about because yeah. they're local, but they really do have a national impact. We recently talked to one of the... Uh, candidates for Connecticut's uh, governor, Office of Governors, an Army veteran, uh, National Guardsman, who was the former state uh, commander or whatever the job is. He was the leader of the VA. And and it, when I started looking into his bio and his background, a lot of great things happened in the Connecticut VA system while he was in charge of it. But it's at that state level. I mean, what we're hearing more about is going to be on the national level, the, the issues with big picture VA. And then, I mean, coming from a news background and having worked at a, a news radio station in Manhattan, I can tell you if it bleeds, it leads that, that old <laughs> saying holds true in every form. So the bad stories, they make the news more often. And that's yeah. how sometimes uh, perspectives can be disproportionate and just incorrect. And and we talked about one earlier in the day, uh, gun violence in the country where people talk about, it's just getting worse. It's getting, it's getting worse and it's getting out of control. Homicide rates are at all-time lows in the United States right now, like the lowest they've been since the 1950s, I mm. think. So, But you hear about these things because there's a 24-hour news cycle. Yeah. And again, I think the same with the VA, as you just pointed out, so many great things taking place. But you know what? Tell me about that story about uh, Illinois. I've already kind of forgotten about what they're doing there. And you were just talking about it a right. couple minutes ago. I don't know the details. I can still tell you about that dude who woke up with the surgical instrument inside <laughs> of his stomach. That stuff sticks out in people's heads and it's newsworthy and people want to hear about that. And you also from like sticking with Illinois, what the big uh, um, news coming out of Illinois is the um, uh, veterans home there that has Legionnaire's disease. Yeah. And, and, and you know that where uh, 13 veterans have died uh, since 20. 20- 15 because of the plumbing you know it, it that really no, that's that's why Legionnaires the plumbing. Is, yeah that's what it is it's water essentially. so that's that's the big story coming out of out of illinois you know but the good stuff we don't hear about yeah, we should reach to the american legion for a statement yeah well I, the, the american legions only tie and i know this because i stayed at the hotel in philadelphia where legionnaires first happened where it got its name we were in town to watch the uh, ufc fights my wife and i's first ever trip out of town together when we were first dating and we stayed at a hotel and and the name sounded familiar to me and we looked it up and i was like oh this is the hotel this is the one where legionnaires came out so that's it just happened to happen i know i know they didn't start it jake is jake just besmirched the good people of the american legion (laughs) claiming that they were in the inventors who launched legionnaires disease that's what you were doing don't try to deny it jake hughes there you go. That's I don't your, even have anything to say to that's that. Your, that. That's your that's your probably that's good. your penance for putting yeah, the, 
the interview on the wrong day on the yeah, calendar. Right. You, yeah. you have to be known as the guy who accused the Legionnaires of developing a biological weapon to use against their own membership. And Legionnaires is another one. Like, we would tell stories about that in New York when it would, it occasionally happens. Once or twice a year, there's little Legionnaires outbreaks from those water towers yeah. on top of buildings. Um, You know, that's, again, that's where people's, a lot of the perception comes from. The problem is perception, that's... uh. I think the old saying is perception is nine-tenths of the law. That's Something. not really the saying, but, you know. Perception whatever. is reality. I said it into a microphone, therefore it there must it be true. <laughs> You've been listening to the uh, morning briefing here on Thursday, March 8th, 2018. A lot of VA talk because there's a lot going on at the VA to talk about, and we're reporting on it at ConnectingVets.com. Jonathan's Hack the VA video series is there, as well as on social media. Best way to be kept abreast of what we're doing, following us at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks for joining us for this Thursday edition of the show. We'll be back on Friday. Big show tomorrow. See you then. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.